Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You are listening to 94 and More, where we explore how basketball can challenge us to reimagine our world in new and unexpected ways. I'm Luke Tadashi, the founder of Bristol Studio. Today's episode is actually the second part of our conversation with Professor David Hollander. If you have not had a chance to listen to part one, we highly recommend you check that out first. The topics of this conversation build on what we discussed in our previous episode. That being said, if you just want to dive straight in on part two, Go ahead. Hope you all enjoy. I thought it was really kind of a sweet anecdote in your story where you talk about how, um, like, really up until the 80s, I think, when China, like, opened it, started to open its doors, like, they thought basketball was created in China. Like, they thought it was theirs. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to that idea of, like, nobody owns the game. You know, we all we all come to it at our own time, but the the connection is real for all of us. Yeah. it's. Uh... Guys in the Philippines are playing uh, with their own feeling uh, around this game. Um, it's 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 amazing what happens when you don't ascribe ownership or nationality to this game. Um, how much fun people have! Yeah, and I think that's a great segue to start our conversation a little bit about pickup basketball because. I think that in the way you're talking about basketball and in the way that I see it is like pickup basketball is the purest form of the sport. Um, and you tie pickup basketball to so many of these larger themes in your book. Um, I love this concept of open democracy, open run. Um, I love how you tie basketball to immigration, pickup basketball uh, in Canada. And you talk about that. So, you know, and then you talk about uh, you know women in Somalia and how pickup basketball does things for them, and I don't want to give too much away, but those are just a few of the things that <laughs> I think it would be awesome to hear you talk about. Thank you. Um, I I believe that one of the one of the frustrations of many people in society is that they feel like they're living without dignity. Um, They feel like they're not allowed to ever feel that greatness that they see others having on television and things like that. And I want to see a society that gives people the ability to feel the pride, feel the ownership, feel like they are stakeholders in whatever the society is trying to do that's great and good. 
which makes them feel better about everything, their children, uh, their partners, their family, their neighbor. And that requires removing barriers to access. If there's anything good that a society wants to be, then that thing that is good must be able to be had. I don't see that happening in all kinds of really important places like education, healthcare, wealth creation. Um, and so I believe that one of the things that basketball stands for is that there should be no barrier to access. And one of the great manifestations of that principle is pickup basketball. Now, other sports play pickup too, but I don't know if I've ever found any other sport that gives so many people the ability to instantly, because of the space, because of the uh, uh, how little you need, the ability to, without verbal language, connect, belong, engage, access something. Nobody checks your ID. Nobody asks for your citizenship. Nobody wants to know your resume, your background, anything. Nobody organizes it except those that are there themselves. Everybody seems to agree that there are certain ways we'll go about this. There's an honor uh, that's, you know, you you call your own fouls, you, you know, winter stays on, whatever the local customary rules are. It's an honor that, (laughs) I mean, far to me surpasses the honor of the tennis club or the golf club, Um, except everyone here can play. Anybody can show up and play. The social contract is extraordinary. And because of that, in all these different societies that have strata, that have caste, that have whatever their 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 overtime or recently imposed structures of access or non-access are, the basketball court, the free and open public basketball court, unlike anything I have ever seen anywhere else on earth, gives a chance for somebody who's not feeling that, hasn't been given the avenue over time, over generations, uh, because of discrimination, because of hate. It gives them a space to demonstrate belonging, to feel the power of ownership, to enjoy the space of creativity and entrepreneurship, to connect with others who may or may not be like them, but for that moment, are engaged together. Am I talking about basketball, or am I talking about a way for society to like heal? Um, I find the model pretty pure in pickup basketball for a better democracy, a better sharing a better sense of, oh, you're like me, um, or you're not so different from me, or a dissolution of the you and me, and it's just us. Yeah. 
so now there's a couple of things from that that I want to root this idea in. Um, and I, I mentioned them off the top, but I think that that's a great bird's eye view of it. And I think that this idea of dignity is really important. And I think you're absolutely right. Like we all just want to feel a sense of dignity. And I think that's harder and harder to come by in our world today. And I think dignity means a, a few things, but I think one of the things that it really means is my life matters and that I, that I matter and that I'm connected to something greater than myself. And I love this story you tell in your book about these young women in Somalia and how, you know, Somalia is this, for many reasons, this really oppressive culture for women. Um, And quite literally, their lives are in danger in many, many ways on a, on a daily basis. And they're, uh, they're prevented from playing basketball in a lot of cases because you know they who you know the the men in charge see the connection between basketball and freedom and they see they, it yeah they see it they don't want that um, but you say um, I'm going to read you this quote that you say uh, because I think it 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 exemplifies the power of pickup basketball um, so you're talking about these young women in Somalia who love the game and you say. They get that, that being, I think you mean dignity, but they get that from just doing the thing they love, basketball. They love it because it lets them love themselves, which means they're here, on earth, included. It ties directly to the special power of the game to be an expression of inclusion and equity for women. And that for women part could be for anybody. But uh, I don't, yeah, talk about that a little bit. This game is is really amazing. Once, you know, it, 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 and and it's so interesting, right? That uh, in Somalia there is a an extremist faction, violent extremist faction, Al Shahab, who, yes, they have some very restrictive ideas about what women can be in society, and they. In, in in particular, focused on basketball playing. They said, and especially if you play basketball, they know. Any 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 oppressive regime knows um, that basketball is a place where once people taste it, once people taste that experience of a body in freedom in ownership in 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 community there's no going back and for the women of somalia of mogadishu they're willing to risk their lives their families uh their futures um just so they can say I am here and I'm not going anywhere, even if it's my life is in danger, even if this means my life will end at the end of this. I mean, extraordinary courage. It's like in Iran right now, where at some point, if you remove the 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 thing from your face, you remove the the hijab. The prohibition. Yeah, the hijab. You say i can't be any other way anymore and it's an extraordinarily powerful thing so i i take that example as like 
as a really extreme example, it's true that these women in Somalia, Mogadishu, in Africa, have been for the past fifteen years, twenty years, uh, have been this oasis of social progress, which has led to, in the book, I talk about the the uh, Elman Center, uh, which has become the the haven for uh, violence against women, for um, all kinds of social freedoms for citizens. And basketball is the tool. Basketball is the the space that they they come to to show uh, how you can feel this way. Um, it, you know, that's why Masai Ujiri showed up, and, and it's just it's it's. I, I mean, again, I went to I built a thesis years ago, asking myself, why does basketball make me feel this way? And I began to find these stories, which are remarkable and totally consistent uh, with what the game was intended to do. And I think it's just, it's, it's now doing it in a place like Mogadishu for women, risking their lives in a way that I don't think anybody, Naismith, anybody could have, could have thought would have been so powerful and important. Yeah. Man. Um, <laughs> I think too, in, in, you know, in, in our world, in the West, I guess it's just as powerful in different ways. And maybe the stakes aren't as high as they are for, for young women in Somalia. But earlier in our conversation, you talked about this theme of consolidation. And I think that that's a big thing when I look around in our world that I notice is consolidation, whether that's I think really in terms of like wealth, wealth consolidation, right? It's like only in certain circles now is that, does that control live there? And if you're outside of that circle, you don't have access to that. And I think that in our world, the, and you talked a little bit about this, but the pickup basketball court is where maybe one of the last places in our society where people do come together and it doesn't, it, it, it not only doesn't, matter uh you know whether you're rich poor white black male female it actually only matters if you can be be with other people and play well um and i and and i think in a world that's more and more consolidated we need more and more of these spaces that break apart those consolidations so you really you know i i went to see um uh uh True West, it's a Sam Shepard play. And and there was a talk back afterwards, and they talked about, you know, wow, Sam Shepard's plays always end in like these just like uh, violent uh, 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 melees at the end of the play. And and there's always violent seething uh, throughout the play. And what was explained was that, well, Shepard felt in America um, violence. And it's become a violent place, according to Shepard, is the result of people just feeling their inadequacy in the society. Um, and you feel that inadequacy when you feel like you're not hitting the goal, you're not measuring up. And 
you know, in the book, I talk about Draymond Green. Uh, Draymond Green, who uh, statistics night after night are weird and uneven and hard to kind of, you, you, you wouldn't put him on any all-star team based on those statistics, those, those metrics people like to call in business. Um, but everybody on the court knows what Draymond Green means to that team. And everybody on the court knows Steph Curry, the you know, glittering star, um, knows that without Draymond Green, there is no championship. A society like a team in basketball that values what Draymond Green does in the same way that they value what Steph Curry does, to me, is a basketballistic society, which means it bestows that dignity. It removes those feelings of inadequacy in a a society that says the only people that really matter are the CEO are the you know the tech entrepreneur are the the zillionaire the 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 you know the the three million views influencer this is this is this is what creates the recurring problem if our uh if our society today was an nba team which team would we be <laughs> <laughs> well um uh, I'm sorry to say the Brooklyn Nets, um, who are the just become the caricature of, uh, you know, um, of a team full of, on one level, a remarkable, measurable talent. And on another level, they're just not playing the game. They're not, and as an organization, so you know the NBA is a business. Um, they are, they are an unfortunate reflection of our worst kind of directions and impulses at the moment. And uh, what team present? I love past? you. I love you, KD. <laughs> I do. You know that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing is like individually, there's so many incredible pieces, but collectively, they, the, the human alchemy isn't there. They don't become something greater. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, um, they don't. And of course, there's uh, just kind of, you know, just certain uh, odd behaviors, um, um, you know, uh, o- over time. Uh and I and I would even also just uh, step back and say, uh, the idea uh, for the process uh, that that I think also was quite a reflection of our of our times, uh, where there's there was kind of a warped idea that to win we must lose. Um, That's interesting. I would. That could be a whole podcast unto itself. Yes, it certainly could. A lot of people have strong opinions on it, and I don't want to go to Philadelphia and get beat up uh, (laughs) by half the Sixers fans. Um, Love that team. Love them. They they take their sports seriously over there. Yeah. I ran into uh, this idea called Open Democracy um, through an Ezra Klein podcast, and I started reading more about it. 
And the idea is that um, democracy is a big word, and it can be exercised through different kinds of structures. We are currently in a representative democracy, as we all know, right? We, we don't, everybody in the country doesn't vote on every single thing. Uh, we vote for representatives, and they vote on every single thing. The idea of open democracy is that representative democracy is no longer working in this society because of, well, all kinds of different factors uh, over, over time, money, um, our, what our society is valuing. But basically, what you see is the people who represent us no longer really represent us, meaning they don't look like us or don't speak for us. They're mostly male, white, charismatic, good-looking, <laughs> you know, wealthy. Um, and although, you know, some of us may look like that, most of us don't, and most of us aren't. And the idea is that really, the way we find the truthful expression of something we can all live with is by having something more akin to a jury system where we draft lots of people to come to debate, argue, communicate about how we should legislate, how we should govern. And that would be a truer expression of who we all are open democracy, not representative democracy. And i that's a truncated explanation, but I love it because I think it's correct. I think we are in a society that can no longer kind of find uh, a, a, a true elected uh, representation of the what most people look like, sound like, feel like, and so, when you look at a pickup game, other than the 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 drafting part, uh, the jury selection part, you see kind of a similar thing. You you see a kind of a random thrown together of people who show up for open run. Open run meaning a public, uh, uh, you know, anybody can show up and play basketball here tonight this afternoon, whether it's an indoor gym or outdoor. And I think when you attend that, you begin to see the roots of a more equitable society. You see the roots of, I don't know you, you don't know me, I didn't choose you, you didn't choose me, but we are thrown together and forced to figure shit out together. And that's open run, which I think tells us a lot about how open democracy can work. It's like I say in the book, and I like to use this example a lot, I've been to a lot of open runs, you have too, and I've played with complete strangers where we've been forced to kind of be family in a very short period of time. And I can leave open run and still not know the name of that person, not know where they're from, where they live, or anything. But we may just see each other on the street, I say, in a deli or a laundromat or a, a bookstore or wherever. 
and we see each other, and across the distance, we'll give each other that nod, that acknowledgement. In other words, we are connected, and we know what we can do together, and this is cool. You're cool. I'm cool. I, I trust you. I know what you're capable of. You know what I'm capable of. You know what I'm willing to do. I know what you're willing to do. We're not having those conversations, those connections in the overwhelming uh, 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 majority of time in our lives. Um, we're having a very different kind of experience. We're mostly railing against lots of things and feeling powerless. Um, I think open democracy like open run, open run like open democracy gives us a glimpse of what happens when we're all empowered, even if we don't know each other. Yeah. Lots of great things can happen. Yeah, there's a lot there. I think that one of the things is it it encourages more participation, which is which is huge. And we need that because right now it feels like the participants who uh, affect our democracy are overwhelmingly people of great wealth. Um, and if you don't have great wealth, it feels like you're more and more hopeless to impact and and the the wealth and the white and the male i mean i'm not I'll, I'll withhold judgment whether you know person by person they're they're good bad that's not the point the point is 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 representation uh and participation uh that we all feel like we get to say something and somehow it translates into the society that we want and are living in and and a way we can get along with others in that society yeah yeah anyway i i thought that that was that that concept was fascinating and and connecting just open run and open democracy was was very surprising and delightful um so i'm excited for people to read that in your book um but i think too what this reminds me of a little bit is what in general on an academic level and i guess professional level too you are doing with basketball particularly but sports in general basketball mm -hmm. particularly is mm -hmm. you are legitimizing this idea of sport as uh an academic discipline and i think it would be cool to hear you talk about it and it's it ties into your book a little bit but uh yeah yeah. Um, thanks, Charles Barkley, for that quote. I um, right. So I'm a professor uh, in a university in academia, um, and I take it very seriously. I love what I do. I love teaching. I love helping young people uh, develop uh, and find their joy and 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 empower uh, them to uh, uh, go on and excel uh, in life. And I believe that the responsibility of the academy, which is the responsibility filters down to every single one of us in, 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 in on the faculty and the student affairs, the, the responsibility is for us to produce people from our work uh, who make the world a better place. 
that 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 that's our socially responsible. No matter if it's the business school or they're studying um, English, that's the idea uh, to create. I think productive citizens that make the world a better place. And um, I don't understand why this thing called athletics is separate from that endeavor. It makes no sense to me. And I'll analogize uh, to other similar things that you can, that the, the, the academy does honor. You can get a degree in art. In other words, you can make art, and that can be a substantial part of you getting an academic degree. You can get a degree in music. You can learn how to make music, you dance, acting, um, all kinds of wonderful things where the doing of it is the learning. And there's a lot around that learning, I know, which says when you do this art, when you do this acting, when you do this kind of thing, uh, there's, a, there's a great deal you learn about society and humanity. I agree. <laughs> it's the same thing with athletics. I believe that the doing of it, when you play tennis, when you play football, basketball, you're learning about how to be with others. You're learning about how to solve problems. You're learning all kinds of skills that open the door, give you a lens to begin to solve other problems in society, to understand other types of human conflict and, and relationships. And, and I think it's high time that we move athletics over to that side of the house. It's, it's weird that there's an athletic department. Um, and I'm, and let's, let's just put big time division one major conference, uh, men's basketball and football to the side for a moment. Okay. These revenue generating sports, but just D three, right. It is, it is, it is just an odd thing to me that they sit with another building, another staff, with so much time and energy devoted to it. And it's said that this, you know, enhances the academic experience. How? <laughs> if it does, then why isn't it just academic period? Um, it ought to be. It's okay. There's a famous Ernst and Young study, EY study, uh, about women who've played uh, uh, college athletics there's something like 50 to, I forget what the, I think it's at a minimum of 50%. I think it's a higher number. 50% of C-suite women have played college athletics. <laughs> there might be something to that. And I believe there is something to that. I believe that someone should be teaching you what this thing means that you're doing, that you're spending so much time on. And my course is one example. There are other people who teach other courses that do the same thing. 
my point is is that we can we can academize athletics uh, in a way that's much more efficient that that brings it in line with uh, what the university is supposed to be doing. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I, uh, that's what I think. No, I think that it's huge. And I think that, I think that it's exactly right. As somebody who's grown up loving and playing sports, I think some of my greatest moments of self-realization and learning have taken place outside of that classroom and on that court. So I think it's about time we we just we need we need people to catch up with that, um, yeah. and I feel like what you're doing is is leading to to that. But well, I hope so. You know, I look. I as you know, I teach sports business, um, uh, which is a a a you know a morally conflicted place for me. <laughs> <laughs> Putting those two words together, but I gotta believe that there's more to the cultural form known as sports and athletics than just the hyper-commercialization of it. There's, there's got to be more to do with it than just that. And I think we've tilted just so far in the direction of nothing but the, the only reason you do sports is to get a scholarship, make a lot of money. There's some, you know, it's outcome-based. I think also, and we'll get into this actually with, some of our guests in this season, but I think that sports is just one of the greatest platforms or yeah, platforms for trying, 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 failing, 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 trying, 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 succeeding, failing, you know. And I I feel like it it's a teacher of resiliency in a way that just like just about nothing else is. And if I look around just, you know, and I take what what this conversation today with you has been is there's so much uh, feeling of uh, uh, not belonging, dislocation, uh, my place in in this, all of that, and it seems like one of the most important skills in today's world is resiliency. Just the the ability to keep going, to to <laughs> to you know see a brighter outcome at a certain point, and sports does that in a way that few things do and it grounds it in like a, you know uh uh it's not some like um hocus pocus it's like it it really shows you have to work at it but if you do enough work you do enough if there's enough rigor of thought you will get to a, a better place yeah uh anybody who's played sports given effort uh, knows that that is so true and 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 it makes you believe that you can get through other challenges um, because you've tried and failed and then kind of overcome and and tried and failed and overcome again and 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 it it teaches so much about the human condition um, which is what all the things we study that that's what we're trying to understand the human condition, whether it's literature or philosophy or sociology or, or economics, this thing called athletics, it's a powerful, extraordinary, um, wide ranging teacher, uh, of the human condition, like art, like music, like drama, uh, which are also just, you know, 
make tremendous contributions to our understanding of who we are and what we can be. Yeah, and I think too one of the most, uh, Im- Im- I mean, many of many impressive things, but one of the more impressive things that you've done through your course that uh, I think, if nothing else, helps legitimize the study of sport would be what you and your students did around the patron saint of basketball. And I would love for you to share that story because there's a lot of listeners that I know aren't familiar with it. So tell us about that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, I will tell you a story. So around Christmas time last year, 2021, um, I was reading an article in the New York Times about a little village in central Italy. Uh, who, ha- In that village, there's a church. And in that church, there's a shrine to basketball. And people come from all over the country to pray at that shrine. They pray for a better jump shot, a better season, a healed meniscus. And this church, which has been around since uh, the 15th century, there's a bridge that connects it to the little village, the village of Peretta Terme. And on that village, there's a likeness of Madonna. They call her the Madonna del Ponte, the Madonna of the Bridge. And I read in this article that the, the village had made petition to the Vatican to have the Madonna del Ponte, their local Madonna, be recognized by the, as the first ever patron saint of basketball. So I called my TA from the year before, who is Italian. Uh, he had graduated. He's working in New York City. I'm like, hey, man, did you read this? He's like, yeah, I did. It's incredible. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm home for the holidays in Bologna, which is driving distance to the church. He drove to the church. He grabbed the priest. The priest, the first guest, first class, first hour of How Basketball Saved the World, spring 2022. And I asked him, I said, Father, what can I do? How can I help this cause? It's amazing. He said, I don't know. You know, I, I said, well, class, 157 students. I said, class, this isn't for a grade. I said, but everybody send me one sentence tomorrow. Why does basketball deserve its own saint? And they did, and I compiled it in a letter, and it was like a, you know, a listing, like the Magna Carta, Declaration of Independence, you know, because basketball is a universal language, because basketball, like, you know, makes us communicate, because basketball, all these things. And I put it in a beautiful letter, and I sent it to Cardinal Zuppi, the, who was carrying the, the Cardinal Bologna, carrying the petition to the Pope. And somehow Italian media got a hold of it. Italian media, major media, La Repubblica, which is like the Washington Post of, 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 Italy, and they printed the letter in full in this feature article saying this is the first international gesture of support, this NYU professor and his students for this stalled petition. This could be it. That was March of 2022. On April 12th, Good Friday, the Pope recognized the first ever patron saint of basketball. It's incredible. It's true. It really is incredible. I love when I tell people there's a patron saint of basketball, their jaw just drops because it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's impressive. It, you know, I mean, uh, I'm blown away by it. And uh, as you know, I was accompanied uh, by your team uh, when we went to that village 
this summer. And there really was something magical about the people, the town, the whole idea of it. I mean, officials came from all over the country, Milan, Venice, Rome, to celebrate that moment. Um, And it's the first ever team sport to be given a patron saint. Why is that? (laughs) Why did the Pope say, oh, this one, not soccer, which is really the, the, you know, the, the sport of that country and most of Western Europe. He believes that there's something about the game. You had quoted him earlier about it makes you look up. It somehow has been a force for healing. It somehow was a force. He, he, he had pointed to it uh, during the uh, uh, um, um, the protests, uh, the, the marches, um, you know, George Floyd, uh, which, you know, went out all over the world. And he saw basketball as such an important force for teaching people how to overcome the obstacles that are still plaguing us, still dividing us. This is what the Pope said. I think it's just the beginning of, we got a little something in store for the UN this semester. And I see this. Many people are familiar with Peace Players International, highly decorated organization that uses basketball in the highest conflict spots on earth to help evolve. Not conflict resolution, they don't call it conflict evolution. Um, and it works. And I, to the extent that I can like add anything to the, 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 the notion anywhere in the world that basketball can just make us 5% better, 10% better, open our eyes to the, 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 the potential of what we can be with each other, man, then I, I, will, uh, I will have done something for my daughter, uh, who I hope enters a world that's just a little bit better than the one that I entered. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think I, 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 this is maybe maybe the uh the dreamer in me but uh i think that's why your work really really speaks to me is because there's this there's this sense that um you know it's just it's it it is about getting five percent ten percent better and we all you know we all have to believe we're here for a reason and if uh what, what better reason than the time that i've been given here maybe can make this place slightly, slightly better. Um, and I don't know. It just, it's, it's, it's really, it's. And I, uh, I'll, t- yeah. I'll tell you, Luke. And yeah, that's, I, th- I, I do believe that's what all of us in our, in our best selves want. And it, I, I think what's motivated me and what resonates perhaps with others in the work that I've done is that we got to try something like something new has to come forward. We can't 
go on like this. Um, and I, I'm not, dis- you know, I'm not despairing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not uh, uh, cowering in the corner. Um, and I'm not whining. I'm saying that this is this is it. This is our chance to kind of look at other things. We're strong enough to do it. We can get new language. We can look to new sources of thinking and ideas and human relationships. And though it may sound like silly to some, basketball, really? Try it. Try being in that mix. And then you'll know what I know, what Luke knows, what others know, uh, what's, what, what, what hundreds of students have now come to this class and they're like, yeah, just, just tell me how it works because I, I feel it. I feel it. I've always felt it. And, you know, I just, I can't get trapped in any more of these conversations that keep leading us to division. I can't get trapped anymore in these television shows that are so narrow in their uh, explanation. I, I can't, I, I, I can no longer kind of accept um, these either or propositions. Um, I, 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 I want to go somewhere else. Um, which doesn't mean anarchy. It doesn't mean chaos. It means I think we can, I think the next time like the whole world uh, gets hit by a pandemic, we could do a little better. (laughs) Yeah. We could do a little better, you know? And if we're going to just go back, I, 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 I just, I'm here to raise my hand and say, how about we try something else? Yeah. I can't help but think that if we collectively made it a priority to uh, build some more courts around the world, that it would be cool if someone did a study to to kind of see just, because I think that, you know, that's how our world works is we need evidence. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's a really great study to be had out there to correlate more basketball courts with better social outcomes. Um, and I think it's just waiting for someone to do it. So uh, I don't know. Maybe that should be the, one of the next <laughs> the next initiatives in the class. <laughs> I, I love So I love that, by the way. I think that is the concrete, <laughs> literally, uh, <laughs> uh, next thing that needs to be done. You know, our friend Dan Peterson uh, with Project Backboard uh, has been a leader in this area, and there are other folks. I mean, that's why you hear Masai Ujiri wants to build 100 courts uh, across the continent of Africa. That's why it's a big part of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant's, um, you know, kind of philanthropic uh, efforts. There are other groups. It, it, it seems to be the consensus answer. And again, it sounds people like, really? That's what you're going to do? Build more basketball courts? Go check out these courts that have been renewed, which have renewed communities. Um, it works. And I think too, it was, uh, it might've been Peace Players International. It was somebody, but that was building basketball courts in high conflict zones. And yeah. um, I remember yeah. as I have this, I have this quote in front of me that uh, Brendan Tui said yeah. of Peace Players International. And he said, 
We're not saying that, hey, the active playing of basketball together is going to on its own be the answer, but it creates the foundation. It creates that, quote, all right, I can see you. I can relate to you. Now, can we look to maybe have a deeper conversation or form a friendship? And I do think there's something there. I think (laughs) think At at a minimum, the idea that we need to find vehicles to humanize each other. I think basketball is as good a one as I've ever come across, but uh, we need to be together. We need to see each other in the room. Uh, we do. Um, it, it's it, it's it's where we must get back to. Um, not meta. Yeah, like actual. And it feels too to me like the the tools that we now have access to. Um, and I think about going back to as early as you know like the the 40s when atomic weapons kind of came to be and then now you look at today and you know people are talking about ai and uh you know these these more like existential potentially existential threats and i think it's gonna require a like almost evolutionary leap in how we think and relate to one another yeah. Um, and I think that that to to wrap it up, I think that that speaks to your last principle, transcendence. But we need to transcend whatever this is where we are today in order to meet the challenges of the twenty first century and beyond. We do, and and I hope when people see my book and they see these thirteen principles, they understand that, like you've just said, these are. These are these are guiding principles. This is my this is my Ten Commandments. This is my Bhagavad Gita. This is my like, if you get lost with what you're doing, ask yourself, is it in service of these principles? So this is not a principle. It's not like no AI or no uh, 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 you know virtual this or digital this. It's to say that these tools, Magnificent tools need to be in service of these principles. That's all. Um, and that's an exciting future. That's an exciting future, future grounded in basketballistic principles. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I hope I make a compelling argument in the book, and you've been very kind to let me explain. No, of course. Well, Let's uh, let's get you uh, bigger and bigger platforms to spread the word and, and the message. And I think, uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's going to resonate. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube